These are um, uncertain times, which we'll come to in a moment. But before we do that, I want to put up a picture for you Star Wars fans that we'll return to later. Um, There we go. Who can tell me what that is? Pardon? What? Oh, oh, right. I don't know what what the planet is. That's impressive. That's not what I was expecting as an answer. Um, Anybody else? What are those machines rather than the planet? And what time? It is an ATAT or an all-terrain armored transport vehicle. Very useful. We all knew that. Atats, right? You can take it off. We'll be returning to that a little bit later today. Um, And all will be made clear as to why. Now, these are uh, uncertain times, or or certainly they're new times. Whether what's new is because of the speed that a disease is spreading around the planet, or whether what's new is the speed that fear is spreading around the planet, something's new. And many people are on edge. And as no doubt you've been reflecting over the week and been reading the news and what's going on, certainly what's happened at the moment is our own mortality and frailty has been brought into view. And that makes people feel uncomfortable because we've suddenly become very aware that we're not as secure as we thought we were. We've never been secure. We've never been able to be masters of our own destiny. And what's happening at the moment is it's revealing to us you're not actually in control. See, what we want as a people, as human beings, we want peace and we want prosperity all the time. We want things to go up and to the right all the time. What we've got is anxiety at the moment on a national scale that seems to be increasing and will no doubt increase more over the coming weeks, perhaps. Well, today I want to speak about Christian peace, how we get it and uh, how we can live in it. And I want us to talk about peace. I want to talk about how, first of all, we receive peace. And then, second of all, how we apply peace in our lives together. And we're going to be reading from several Bible verses. We'll start with one from Jesus, which feels particularly contemporary uh, and the things that he was saying. We're going to read from Luke 21. We'll then jump into 1 Peter. We'll jump into John 16. And we're going to land in Philippians 4. That's where we're going. And if you're new to the Bible, that was just a set of codes. Um, Luke 21, verse 25 to 28. Jesus talking. Uh, this is Jesus is speaking about the last days or the trouble that's going to come on his people. And what he says will be of particular interest to us, given his description of things. Jesus says this, There will be signs in sun and moon and stars, and on the earth distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud and with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, Straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Now, in the Bible, there's several passages um, that talk about what's called eschatology, the last days, the way things will go. And when Jesus was raised from the dead on Easter Sunday, the Bible's way of viewing history is the last days began in earnest. Jesus was resurrected from the dead. He was crowned as king over all, given rule and authority over everything. And these are now the last days that, we've been, that we are living in. So in talking about this, we're not being dramatic, but we're identifying at least two things. That when 
the Bible talks in those terms and when Jesus said those things, he, often the way that they are understood is, is best explained um, by the, the, the concept of a false peak when you climb a mountain or a big hill. That when you climb a mountain or a big hill, on the bottom you see the peak and you climb it. And then you get there and you realize that wasn't the peak after all, that was the peak. And now we're climbing towards a new peak. In Jesus' day, a lot of what he said took place. He said in the verse after this that um, all of these things will take place before this generation passes away. When Jesus predicts the last days and what's going to happen on the earth, he does it to say, this is going to take place in your day before you have died, speaking to his contemporaries. In other words, you will reach that mountain peak. But as you read it, you realize there's a lot that hasn't taken place that will be the final, final end of all things, is what Jesus points to. That there is that double peak dynamic. And yet when you read what Jesus is saying, a lot of it seems contemporary, very modern. Every generation has felt the force of Jesus' words. People fainting with fear and with a great sense of foreboding. That feels familiar to us at the moment over the last few weeks. People fainting with fear. Now, fainting is always embarrassing and irrational. Uh, we're all slightly embarrassed about the loo roll crisis in the country at the moment because people are beginning to faint with fear and it's affecting the loo roll. Never saw that coming. <laughs> but that's what happens. Um, when you faint... What often happens is you know rationally, I shouldn't be fainting right now, but your body is fainting. And you think, I can't do anything about this. I had a very embarrassing experience recently. We went to see the film 1917. Anyone seen that film? A very vivid portrayal of events in World War I. Terrifying and traumatic. And um, I sat there watching one particularly graphic moment in the film and started to feel very hot. And I thought, I'm feeling very hot. And then I started to feel nauseous. I thought, why am I feeling nauseous? I'm shaking as well. And I thought, I'm going down. I'm, f I'm going into shock because of what I'm seeing on the screen. And it was strange to me because I was sitting there thinking, this is a film. Why are you fainting? Why are you going into shock? This is not real. And yet, no matter, I, no matter what I told myself, my body was reacting. It was starting to faint. And so I, I had to get off my chair in the cinema and lay on the floor and put my feet up. Amy looked over and just thought I was sobbing with, with sadness of what was going on. And eventually sat back up and she said, are you all right? I said, I nearly fainted, <laughs> but I held it together. And as Christians, sometimes with our faith, it can feel like that at times like this. The world's going a bit fearful. And as Christians, we think, I know I shouldn't be fearful. I know I shouldn't be feeling anxious, but I am. And my rational part of me is going, what is going on? And yet my spiritual dynamic is going, but God, I'm really scared. And I, I feel slightly embarrassed about the fact that I'm scared. And sometimes we can come to church and feel slightly awkward because some people have got enough faith to give everybody hugs and they don't seem scared at all. And other people say, don't come near me at all. And we, think, and we can feel ashamed that we might not be feeling strong and full of faith at the moment. The first thing to say is there is no shame in how we react to the, to the world's events. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. This is a community that at a time like this, we need to recognize in the room. There'll be some people sitting here thinking, this is a load of nonsense. And there'll be some people sitting here going, it might be a load of nonsense, but I'm really quite fearful. And as a church, we need to help one another rather than judge one another at a time like this. Because the thing about fear is 
Fear both binds people together and it blinds people. It's like stepping in tar. It's like as a community or a society, we've all stepped in some tar and we're all a little bit stuck. And fear has that effect or anxiety has an effect that it causes people to be bound together. And a herd mentality takes over where it becomes very hard to think as an individual because I can't deviate from what the common consensus or what the, the herd is doing. And so fear binds us together, but it also blinds us from being able to think. Like, again, if you've, ever, if you've ever made bread when you've got particularly sticky dough, it just gets inside your head and all you, it's on your hands. You think, I can't get this sticky dough off me. And you become blind to anything else other than the stickiness that you've got in you and on you at the moment. And that, that's what fear does. And Jesus identifies this is what's going to come in times of trouble on the earth, whether in his generation or in subsequent generations and certainly in our generation. This is what's going to happen. People will be fainting with fear and a sense of foreboding. And he tells his followers, now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is near. Straighten up. Raise your heads. Sit up straight. Don't allow fear to cause you to faint. Don't lie down in the middle of a cinema and just pass out. Don't give up. Straighten up. And actually, there's a beautiful verse that um, one of Jesus' followers who was there at the time, the Apostle Peter, writes to his church. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, he says this, Therefore, to a church preparing for persecution, preparing to have their lives lost, many of them to prepare themselves to be thrown, to the Colosse- thrown into the Colosseum and be eaten by lions. He says, therefore, to this church, prepare your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of the Lord Jesus. Prepare your minds for action. Or another translation puts it, gird up the loins of your mind. I once heard Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great Welsh preacher, speak on that. And he does it in this beautiful, deep Welsh lilt. He says, gird up the loins of your mind. Which I didn't think was a bad Welsh accent, actually. I've got a talent, I didn't realize. Gird up the loins of your mind. Don't wait and see. And don't think, I'll, I'll make up my mind as to whether or not I react in fear, go with the herd, or go in a different direction. I'll wait to see who's going to shout the loudest and lead me. No, Jesus says, sit up straight. Raise your heads. Well, the, the Apostle Peter says, prepare your minds for action. Gird up the loins of your mind. To gird up the loins of something is, is like if you've ever seen um, a lady or a man in a gown um, pull up their, hitch up their whatever dress to run. They hitch it up and then they can run. Um, not, not something I have too much experience of. Um, but that's what they do. They hitch it up, they gird it up so they can run. Gird up the loins of your minds. Be prepared Set your hope fully, what the Apostle Peter says. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be revealed to you. Set your hope fully on what's coming. And what is coming? Well, we're not setting our hopes fully in the same place that the world would set its hopes at this time. What's happening at the moment is our philosophies are beginning to expose themselves as to whether or not they can offer us lasting hope or not. For those outside of faith who don't have much of a hope beyond the grave, for them, set your minds fully on the hope of death. Is that all that's going to come? And after that, nothing. 
an eternal non-conscious existence that I'm not even aware of and just switching off of a machine, that's not a hope worth setting ourselves on. But for the Christian, set your mind, set your hope firmly on the hope or the grace that is going to be revealed to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, church, we need to deliberately plant our feet squarely on the resurrection of Jesus at a time like this. It matters more than ever whether or not Jesus is alive and whether or not you believe he's alive. The truth is, Jesus has conquered death on Easter Sunday, and as a result, we can set our hopes squarely and firmly on that truth in history, and that and that alone will give us the hope we need. When Jesus wants in the Gospels, he tells his followers to get into a boat and cross over to the other side. And as they're crossing over the other side, Jesus is exhausted from a day's ministry and falls asleep. Many of you know the story. A great storm breaks upon the boat, and the disciples become fearful that they're going to die. Jesus is sleeping through the storm, and they wake him up, and they say, Master, don't you care that we're going to drown? Jesus calms the waves and then addresses his disciples. And he addresses his disciples in words that feel a little bit like a rebuke when you read them. He tells them off. He says to them, where is your faith? And in saying, where is your faith? What he's saying is, you have faith. Why aren't you using it? Church, at a time like this, we have hope. We have faith. We need to use it now, perhaps more than ever, for ourselves, to get ourselves unstuck from the fear that would seek to bind and blind us, but also for the sake of the people we live around. We have a hope that springs eternal. Bill actually read it out or, or quoted it earlier in our worship time together, but I want to read you something that Jesus said in John chapter 16 to point to, again, what is it that we're setting our hope firmly on? Well, Jesus says this in John 16, I have said these things to you, talking to his disciples, in order that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. In actual fact, I noticed this this week, uh, just a verse before that. Jesus says, Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered each to his own home. He wasn't talking about self-isolation. You will be scattered each to his own home. Why? Because he's going to be arrested, he's going to be tried as a common criminal, and everyone who's associated with him is going to be rounded up. So many of them imprisoned in times to come, many of them killed because of their association with him. Jesus says, there is coming a time where many of you will be scattered because of fear. And he says to them, take heart. In the world you will have trouble, but I have overcome the world, he says. And what he offers them is peace. And first of all then, to get peace as Christians, as those who are perhaps feeling anxious at a time like this, first of all, we receive peace. Jesus says that, my peace I give to you. So first of all, we receive the peace of the Lord Jesus in our lives. And the Bible's word peace is a much stronger, thicker, more substantial peace than the peace that many of us and many of our friends are aware of. In the Bible, the, well, the Hebrew word for peace is the word shalom, which is a word that means wholeness, joy, satisfaction, completion. 
Peace in the Bible is not a, a quiet calm. It's a strong, robust wholeness and joy. You see, for many of us, and particularly for those outside of Christianity, peace, by and large, requires quietness of the world, quietness of our mind. When the world isn't quiet, and it's very hard to quiet in your mind, where do you go for peace? Well, Jesus says, I'm offering you a peace that is robust. And it, it looks the present realities in the eye. It doesn't turn away from them. Because again, many people would advocate you the way you get peace is you stop thinking, you, d- you take your mind off of things, you retreat. Jesus says, no, no, I'm giving you peace, and it's the peace based on this. I've overcome the world. The world through its worst at me. I've overcome it. You can trust me. Now here, receive my peace. So that's the first thing. We receive peace from Jesus. But then secondly, and we're going to read from a letter that the Apostle Paul writes to a church. We're going to learn how to apply peace together. And we're going to return to the Star Wars image that we showed earlier. In Philippians 4, verse 4 to 9, the Apostle Paul writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. First of all, he says, rejoice. He commands people to celebrate. And he's writing at the time, those of you who know the Bible, he's writing from prison. And yet he commands people, celebrate. Because he knows that what you you celebrate in shows what you're ultimately hoping in. Many of us have devoted all of our celebration and rejoicing to the fact that maybe our team is going to win something this year. Maybe Liverpool finally is going to lift the premiership title. As it turns out, they might not, which is hilarious for those who've been following football. We rejoice because our hope is in this. When all of that stops, you realize, huh, I need to find a more substantial, sure thing to rejoice in. This is part of how we set our hope fully on Jesus. We learn to celebrate and rejoice. Part of girding up the, mind, the loins of your mind, preparing your mind for action, part of it is choosing to rejoice and to celebrate even when inwardly you're feeling slightly unsettled. So we gather to worship, and the worship isn't for us, it's for him, but it does us good because it takes our eyes off of ourselves and puts them onto him, and we realize he's seated on the throne. He has all power over everything. And we're used to... We're used to rejoicing in things that we don't yet see, or we're used to rejoicing in promises, I should say. Those, those of us who have a salary or a pension, you based your future hope on that promise. And actually, we're used to rejoicing in future hopes, because often when people book a holiday, they'll come and tell you, we've just booked a holiday, we're very excited. Well, it's in the future, but we're excited. We're rejoicing because we know the promise from our travel agents, providing we didn't go with Flybe, the promise from our travel agents is we will one day be sitting on a beach sipping margaritas or something. And we rejoice in that hope. It's a future hope, but we rejoice in it. And and in in verse 5, the Apostle Paul writes to the church, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. And that phrase, the Lord is at hand, is a phrase that refers both to the present situation, but also to the eternal hope that the Lord is coming back to reclaim and claim his people, his bride, to take them to himself. 
The Lord is at hand. Rejoice. The Lord is at hand. He's here among us. Present peak. Future present peak that we're working towards. But he is at hand. He is coming. There is an eternal hope that we can have as well. And then he says this, verses 6 to 9. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, Think about these things, what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. There is a guard for your mind, a sentry that the Lord would put around you. The peace of God is something that comes to offer you protection, a strength, and a fortress. How do we get it? Well, the Apostle Paul says, don't be anxious. What? What he's saying is, he's not saying, never experience anxiety. Stop it. Because anxiety is an emotion that keeps you safe. It's a gift from God for our good. So he's not saying, don't you dare be anxious. Instead, he's saying, don't live in anxiety. Don't put up with that way of thinking and being, being the way that you make all of your decisions for life. Anxiety wants to turn you inward. It wants to cause you to shut the doors and to retreat into a castle in your mind somewhere, a fortress. And we've all known that experience when you're worried about something, and you feel like you're only half present, because you're there bodily, but in your mind, you're really worried about something. You're really thinking about it all the time. Anxiety wants to turn you inwards. It wants to cause you to give up. Instead, the Apostle Paul says, I want you to apply the peace of God. Do not be anxious, he says, but rather... With requests, he says, do not be anxious, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And in that, he gives us a clue as to how we get peace, a strong, robust peace in a time of anxiety. And this is where we return to the Star Wars walker, the Atat. Because he says, in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. In other words, the first thing we do to help us is we ask God for help. So we come to him in times of uncertainty and we ask him. We present our requests with supplications, he says, with asking, constantly asking God for the situation that's affecting you. And at the same time as asking, he says, we're also doing this with thanksgiving. You see, asking for, causes you to focus and live in the present. I'm aware of this present trouble that's affecting my emotional state. I am becoming anxious. I'm, I'm turning in on myself, but instead, I'm going to redirect it outwards to God. I'm going to ask him. I'm going to live in the present. But I'm also going to thank him. I'm going to look back to the past, and I'm going to remember his previous faithfulness to us. And those two things, a present focus and a past focus, helps prepare me for an uncertain future. And this can be applied to all of our circumstances, whatever it is, whether it's a fear of a virus and disease or just issues at home or in our workplace, with our relationships, with our money life. When we're stressed, when we're anxious, we ask God, I'm really worried about this. 
I need your help. It's causing me sleepless nights. Please help me. And we thank God. But God, I know that two years ago I was worrying about this, and you did it. You brought me through. So we ask God for help, and we look back at work. God, I don't know what to do with this situation. I'm worried that we're not going to have enough money to survive if this happens. Please help. But thank you, God, that in the past you have provided, and I can have confidence that you will go on providing for me. So we ask and we thank I read this week that the definition of anxiety is imagining a future that Jesus isn't in. All of the things that we worry about, many of them, some of them, will come, they will come about. They will happen. But when they come about, when they happen, Jesus will be there. He's not there now because it hasn't happened. And when you imagine a future without Jesus, it fills you with anxiety. And you know this if you've lost a loved one. You know that as you see their death coming, it fills you with fear and dread. But I've also spoken to enough people to know that when the day comes, there's also an unexpected sense of peace. Ha, huh, it's okay. Jesus is here. The peace of God is here, even in this tragedy. It wasn't there before I got there, but it is now. So we ask and we thank. In other words, don't stew Sorry, Stuart. Don't stew in worry, but instead ask God and thank God and look to the future. And then he almost repeats himself because then he says, so in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, so prayer and supplication is his way of saying asking, with thanksgiving, thanking. Then he says, let your requests be made known to God. So he He says, ask and thank God for things, but the Apostle Paul knows that anxiety is not an obedient puppy that just does what you tell it to do on first command. Instead, anxiety is a tiger that threatens to destroy you if you let it. And so just saying, oh God, please help me, thank you, he knows that's not enough. So you need to ask again. So with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, then let your requests, in other words, ask again. Go on asking So there's asking, there's thanking, there's asking again. And as you do it, you're wrestling anxiety to the ground. You're saying, I'm not going to put up with this. I ask God, help me. I thank you, God. I ask God, help me because I'm still worried. And then what he does, in, in other words, I suppose, he says to them, keep buzzing the nurse. Don't give up asking until you've got what you need, until the peace of God comes to guard you, keep asking. Anxiety wants to turn you inward and wants to cause you to try to resolve whatever it is you're worried about internally. Prayer directs it outwards. It says, get out, I will ask the one who can do something about it, rather than just stew, sorry Stuart, uh, on the things that I cannot fix myself. <laughs> but he doesn't leave it there. And what he goes next, I think, is beautiful. And again, it shows us how the Christian peace is different from a a worldly peace. Because he says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, it goes on, whatever is commendable, there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, and then what does he say? He says, think about these things. Asking, thanking, asking, thinking. Don't switch off your brain and just hope that just gritting your teeth will get through it. Don't think anxiety or peace comes by getting rid of everything out of your mind. Instead, he says, fill your minds, but fill them 
with things that are lovely and just and pure and excellent. In other words, dwell on the goodness of God and on the goodness, not just of God, but of God's world. Because he doesn't, he doesn't tell them, memorize lots of Bible verses, sing lots of songs, as good as those two things are. Instead, he says, think on whatever is excellent, whatever is praiseworthy. Brothers and sisters, too often as in the church, we've presented a Christianity that is not this worldly or a spirituality that is ephemeral and floats away and just thinks we've just got to pray. But the Bible presents a Christian life that is grounded in this world. Think about whatever's excellent and praiseworthy all around you. This world is a window through which we see God, through which we understand God. So look at the world and think about whatever it is. So the tiny fingers of a newborn child, the magic of yeast in bread, the resilience of a bulb to produce a shoot in spring, the strength and the power of the ocean waves, the genius of a stand-up comedian or the intricacy of a car engine or the grace of a golf drive struck over 300 yards that none of us will ever do, the refreshment of a cool glass of water on a summer's day, the gift of a good cup of coffee, Think on, dwell on good things. Notice the goodness of creation and the things of the world. Masterful storytelling, a beautifully made movie, your favorite novel, the thrill of a crowd at a sporting event. In other words, broaden your horizons to stop just thinking about the thing that's causing you anxiety. Drink in more. And as you think on those things, it becomes a window that helps you to expand your horizons and see God again. Where anxiety and fear would bind and blind you, we ask, we thank, we ask, we think, we go on. And this is where the Star Wars Atat comes in. Atat, have you seen, have you seen that? Yeah, it's, it's tenuous. I never said it would be good. Atat. So if you're ever watching Star Wars and you see the all-terrain armored transport, the Atat, use it to think, I've, this is how we deal with anxiety. We ask, we thank, we ask, we think, we ask, we thank, we ask, we think, we go on. As the world starts to panic, we ask God for help. We thank God for his previous help. We ask God to help and we think on God's goodness, the goodness of the world around us. We expand our horizons. Ultimately, we think about the magnificence of our creator God, who's royal and sovereign, who sustains and upholds all things by the word of his power, the Bible says. The God who entered into our world of dis-ease and our world of disease. To think on that God who experienced all of our anxiety and pain and grief, who knew what it was to lose loved ones, who knew what it was to face an uncertain future. The pre-existent, eternal God stepped into history to take upon ourselves all of our diseases and our infirmities. And the current virus is so called because of its appearance of a crown, because it looks like a crown. But again, friends, we know the, the God who actually holds the crown, actually wears the crown, the one who rules and reigns over all things. But his crown wasn't a, a crown of aloofness. They said, well, I'm in charge, so you just sort yourselves out. His is a crown of thorns. He entered our world and took all of our anxiety and pain upon himself. He allowed himself to be beaten and broken and bloodied and bruised on your behalf so that we could could identify with him as he's identifying with us. 
so that we could cast all of our concerns onto him as he's showing his concern for us. We ask him because he cares for us. We thank him because he cares for us. And we ask him because he cares for us. And we think about him and his goodness because he cares for us. So let's receive that together. Let's allow the peace of God. Let's make room for the God of peace in our hearts. Let's gird up the loins of our minds. Let's prepare our minds for action by thinking of Atat. Let's pray.